For this first part of the podcast, we'd like to thank Jay Apaji for coming on, co-founder of the Mavs Film Room Podcast and an avid Mavs fan. Uh, me and Ani brainstormed a bunch of questions to ask him, and unfortunately, even though Ani could not make the actual interview because of work and other obligations, we both really appreciated the time Jay took to come on the pod and give us his insight. So just a quick note on that. Thanks. As far as like the best compliment for Luca over the years um, and, you know, watching the Mavs and watching them struggle like against the Clippers, for example, who have two really good shot creators. Um, I'm kind of of the belief that you got to build a team with more, uh, more shot creators, you know, a guy who uh, could do everything with the ball. So with us, we have co-founder of the Mavs Film Room podcast, Jay Apaji. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we're just going to get right to it. I'm going to start off with a little cliche Luca question. And obviously, luca has been playing much better as of late. And we know that, you know, with him and the draft class of 2018, it's just forever going to be linked with him and Trey Young and that draft day trade. And, you know, as time has passed, have the outlandish takes of which player would you rather have? And, you know, the whole Luca's better, Trey's better argument. Has that all mellowed down or do you still find people comparing those two to this day? Uh, that's a good question. I I see it a little bit still um, from time to time. I think naturally it's going to be this way for a little bit longer. Um, but as you kind of alluded to, it has died down a bit now that I think both guys have really settled into their situations um, I think both the Hawks and the Mavs are, are happy with um, the moves that they made. It's worked out pretty well for both teams. Um, but I obviously have certain opinions about the trade, um, biased or not. But yeah. <laughs> and both teams definitely got a generational guy that, you know, they can build on and have playoff success with. And speaking of playoff success, what I think Jason Kidd's done with this group that I haven't seen, you know, a Rick Carlisle team install for years is playing with an aggressive defensive mentality. And, you know, as of today, the Mavs are fifth in defensive rating behind only Golden State, Cleveland, Boston, and Phoenix, which are, I, I would say three of those teams are contenders. And then you have Boston, which is, you know, always teetering the line of, are they going to be good or are they going to be a playing team? And I wanted to ask you, have having watched the games a little more than me, obviously, do you think it's more of individual defenders making strides or has the team just improved its switchability by playing smaller at times? What do you think is like the biggest catalyst behind this defensive transformation? Honestly, um, I think two things. One, first and foremost, is scheme. Um, but, you know, in any case, with any defensive scheme, you got to have buy-in from the players. And I think that's really been the thing that's that put them over the top defensively. Um, you know, I don't know how much of the Mavs you've watched the last few years under Carlisle. Uh, but, you know, they, they played a drop coverage scheme, which is obviously not the most uh, aggressive defensive scheme in the world. Essentially, uh, anytime there's a ball screen, uh, the big is always dropping back to the basket to protect the rim. And they're essentially, you know, kind of daring the opponent to take uh, mid-range jump shots, right? But the problem is the league now is so good at shooting that anytime you give a player an open jump shot, even if it's a mid-range shot, which players often aren't encouraged to take, uh, you know, the superstar guys in the league that, that are empowered to take whatever shots they want are going to take that shot and hit it with ease. And I just think that that scheme only works uh, with certain personnel. 
Um, of course, the last couple of years, Kristaps Porzingis hasn't been extremely healthy, uh, especially last year. That's why their defensive scheme was pretty broken uh, last season. But even if you go back two years ago, uh, KP was a pretty solid defender, but the Mavs just schematically couldn't get it to work. Um, so now under Kidd, they're playing a much more um, aggressive defensive scheme. It's not quite to the level of aggression that he played in Milwaukee. Uh, if you remember that, they would basically blitz every ball screen. Now they're playing kind of like a hybrid where the big comes up a little bit closer to the screen, uh, but there's a lot harder rotation on the perimeter. They're trying to take away uh, the corner three. Um, and they, I think like just, as I said, the, the buy-in from players, they're rotating hard, they're scrambling to the perimeter hard. And I think when you have guys that are really motivated to play, um, it just makes any defensive scheme that much more successful. You brought up a good point about the drop coverage. And it is different when you're playing against a guy like, you know, Kevin Durant or some elite mid-range jump shooter where that's not going to work as much. And I think because there are so few elite mid-range scorers in the league that this defense generally works for the most part. But how do you how do you extend drop coverage for, you know, a guy like Steph Curry or a guy like Trey Young where you kind of have to start guarding them right when they cross half court? And extending that defense just leaves so many vulnerabilities for off-ball cutters and motion offenses like um, getting shooters like Clay, getting shooters like Kevin Herter going. So how how does drop coverage translate to a postseason setting? Well, yeah, um, that's interesting you asked that because, I mean, last two years the Mavs have drawn probably one of the, the tougher matchups in the league, like in the Clippers, mm-hmm. to elite mid-range players in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And so the Mavs really got cut up um, against both those guys in the playoffs. Like uh, when I talk about superstar players being really skilled at the mid-range, like those two guys are the ones that come to mind. I mean, if you're going if you're going under screens or you're dropping to the basket without providing enough resistance um, at the point of attack, uh, these guys are going to take advantage and kill you every time. And so I, I think like whenever you have those kind of players uh, that you're going against, you have to adjust your defensive scheme uh, you have to trust your rim protection, which I think is something that the Mavs couldn't do last season because of Kristaps Porzingis' uh, injuries, um, and which they're able to do a little bit more this year, which is nice. And so, you know, against guys like Steph Curry, for example, like the elite uh, perimeter shooters, I think the aggression is all the more important there uh, because the Mavs played a very switch-heavy scheme um, under Rick Carlisle. And if guys are not switching with, with purpose and, and intention, uh, that's often when you can get burned on those three-pointers because, I mean, Steph has unlimited range, but even guys like Kevin Herter, for example, they'll make you pay if you, do, if you give them too much space. Right. Um, speaking of KP, I know he's like a very mercurial guy. He's always talked about, you know, can he be something more? Is he a premium role player? Does he need to be more? Or can he just kind of settle into a complementary role? Um, what is your overall outlook on KP regarding his future with the Mavs or do do you think he's sort of just a wasted asset on this roster or do you think there's a sizable leap for him to make still um you know I think like most Mavs fans I was pretty excited when they made the trade Mm -hmm. um you know we obviously saw what KP did in New York and I think there was reason to believe that he could expand his game uh, beyond what he did unfortunately due to you know the ACL injury he suffered uh, I guess like what three four years ago now Um, and then among the other various lower body injuries like he had a meniscus injury 
um, after the bubble. So things like that have kind of diminished his mobility a bit. He looks better this year. Um, I think he's playing a lot better. Uh, but the issue is availability. You know, anytime you have a guy that they're that they're paying as much as they are, I mean, they're paying him um, max money. I think he signed a $158 million contract in uh, 2019. And so the his availability has just not been what it needs to be for a player of his um, stature, just in terms of how much is being paid, how important he is to this team's success. This team is built with him being a primary contributor in mind, uh, but he's already at what, 21 missed games this season. I think I saw something the other day that basically since coming to Dallas, he's played in 66% of their games, which I mean, just unfortunately won't cut it for a player making 30, $35 million per year. Now, if he was being paid like in the, in the upper teens to lower 20s, I think that would be a much more reasonable deal. But for what he's getting paid and the fact that he has to be their second best player, um, it's just unfortunate how it's worked out. I mean, just from watching the Mavs like go up against the Warriors over the last two, three years, I'm always I'm more terrified of that team when he's on the floor, right? And I've seen games in which he's been on the floor and Luca hasn't been playing because of injury. And those games are where KP feels the need to step up offensively and make his presence more felt. And we all know that he's a good rim protector. I think several players this year have even called it out saying he's the best rim protector in the league. So I think there is some, like some higher place that the Mavs can go to if KP is healthy, but you're right. Like it's just been, even as a fan of basketball, like pretty frustrating to always see his name on injury reports. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, and and I think like one of the biggest issues with his game, um, which I think maybe has only become more apparent in the last few years, is that because he's not a shot creator, it really limits the ceiling to which he can contribute on a given night. I mean, he has a big reputation as, as a shooter, which I think is a little overblown. Um, he's never been like an amazing shooter, but he's always been a capable one. This season, unfortunately, he's shooting... Uh, below 30% on three for whatever reason. He just hasn't been able to get them to fall. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen him struggle against mismatches against smaller guards. Again, he's gotten better at some of these things this year. Uh, but at the same time, I just think like in this, you know, super team league or even the the star duo league that it's been the last couple of seasons, uh, the fact that he can't create his own shot is kind of a pretty big limitation for the Mavs and their ceiling as a team. Yeah, so this actually brings me to... Another point that I had, um, a lot of a lot of people look at usage rate as like a negative aspect when you're considering any player's ability to raise a team ceiling, right? Like people have discussed this with guys like Joel Embiid in the past saying that the Sixers offensive flow halts and stops when you throw him the ball in the post and slow everything down. And I think this season with him in particular, we've seen that narrative kind of blasted. Like he's putting together an MVP season, leading Philly to real wins against good teams. And he's leading the league in usage rate at 37.3%. Now, for the Mavs, Luka is second amongst qualifying players. And do you think that the ideal complement for him in a title contending scenario is a bunch of solid 3 and D guys who he can kind of set up and get them open looks? Or is someone similar to Jalen Brunson, but kind of like a juiced up version of that, for example, like, not, I'm not directly comparing, but like someone like Paul George, who has all the creation ability in the world and just can slot right in next to Luca. Like, what do you think is the ideal complementary pair for a guy like Luca? I'm glad you asked that because I had an answer kind of prepared for it. Um, 
Look, I think, um, you know, the Houston teams with James Harden were really like kind of the, the testing ground for this theory. Um, mm-hmm. And it worked really well in the regular season uh, because it's, it's just like you play to the averages. You surround, you know, your high usage superstar player with guys who are capable of, of shooting the three. Um, and they're naturally going to be open because of how much attention, you know, the, the superstar creates. Like this is the heliocentric offense, right? And I think the Mavs, uh, tried to build that around Luca when they realized maybe halfway through his rookie year that he was that kind of player, like a, a guy who uh, could do everything with the ball. And so I don't think having a high usage rate necessarily is a negative thing. Um, you know, I, I believe that you got to play to your players' strengths. And, you know, in the case of like Joel Embiid, for example, I mean, he's such a dominant player uh, in the post as well as on the perimeter too. So if you have a guy who can do things that maybe the analytics don't necessarily say um, is the is the best thing to do, like I mean, there's not too many like elite post players in the league, uh, but anytime you have someone like that, you ultimately you want to score the ball, and so you want to do it any way you can. Um, as far as like the best compliment for Luca over the years, um, and you know, watching the Mavs and watching them struggle like against the Clippers, for example, who have two really good shot creators. Um, I'm kind of of the belief that you got to build a team with more, uh, more shot creators, you know, guys who can make plays off the ball because the regular season, like the heliocentric offense thing kind of works because teams are not trying the hardest, um, you know, on defense, especially like you can get away with it, but in the playoffs, it's a completely different story. And we've seen it with the Mavs the last two years. Like uh, the Clippers are obviously again, very elite defensive team, but uh, teams are just playing that much harder in the playoffs. And when they're closing out against your shooters, uh, those shooters better be elite or they better be able to make plays off the dribble. And if they're neither, uh, then you have a problem because if the shots dry up um, and the defense is just queuing in on your star player, uh, then it becomes really difficult to create offense and keep pace with a team like the Clippers um, or like the Suns that have two, you know, two or three or four guys who can create their own shot. Yeah, when you talk about creating offense, I thought that some of the moves made today by other teams could have easily, or not easily, but I think the Mavs could have been in play for something like that. Like we saw with the CJ trade, it wasn't a super crazy return for Portland for what they gave up. Um, I was going to ask you, where do you think the Mavs stand with all the, the trade deadline stuff for players like a CJ McCollum who is a very strong shot creator facilitator when needed like a player like that. You know, I know people have also said the Mavs had serious interest in Karis LeVert. Um, Do you think they missed out on any of these deals when you saw what was given, what was exchanged? Um, I wouldn't say that. I I think they're, they're pretty strapped for assets right now uh, because obviously like 2018, they had to trade uh, their pick in 2019 to get, to move up to pick Luca, uh, and then they did the Kristaps Porzingis trade where they traded two first round picks in that deal. Uh, so they're pretty hamstrung um, until the next pick conveys. Um, so they could trade their pick uh, during the draft in the off season. But I mean, as we all know in the trade market, when you're a buyer, like the, the most valuable assets are expiring contracts and picks. Um, unfortunately the Mavs don't have too many of them right now. So I don't think the the prices that the 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 Pelicans and the Cavs paid for McCollum and Levert respectively were that high. 
But unfortunately, I don't think the Mavs really had anything that, that they could offer um, in terms of the draft capital um, or the, the required expiring contracts because the Mavs do have two uh, pretty valuable expirings in Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson. The issue with them is that their salaries are, one, really low compared to their production level. Um, if you trade them you know, straight up for someone else, you're not going to get a player of equal value. Uh, and then the second thing is both those guys are super critical to what the Mavs do. And so if you trade one of them, you better be sure that you're getting someone that can contribute uh, immediately. And that's you know where the problem arises because you're likely not going to. I think most of the offers that they've been getting for those guys are future assets. Um, and I don't think the Mavs want to do that. I mean, the Mavs are in a weird place where th- when you have a, a superstar like Luca, and when you have a, a supporting cast that's ready to win now, you want to maximize the ceiling of that team. And you want, as a front office, like you, I know luxury tax and you, people care about that. But when you have a guy that's championship ready, like you want to make all the moves necessary to get to that level and just, I, I think Dallas can do more. Like, I, I don't think that this roster as currently standing is anything more than like, you know, a tough out five seed level team. Yeah. Like, especially when you look at it in comparison to even a team like Utah that when fully healthy, you can buy, you can kind of see the direction that they're headed in, but I don't know that I, that's also from not watching too many Mavs games. Like, I don't, I don't know how good this team can be, but it just feels very frustrating from the last two, three years, just seeing them, you know, over and over again, just run into kind of a wall in the playoffs because of their personnel. Yeah, look, like this team has been together for a long time. I mean, a lot of these guys were there even um, even before Luca was drafted. I mean, you look at like Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else on the roster. Those guys were there before Luca came. But then even after Luca, uh, Jalen Brunson... Um, you know, Boban Marjanovic, uh, these guys have have all, have been on the team for, for three seasons now. Um, and so it's like, and Tim Hardaway Jr. for that matter too. It's like, you got to try something else at some point, because like you said, we've seen, we've seen these, the pitfalls of this team over and over again. Um, I think to Jason Kidd's credit, he's got them playing with the new energy right now. And uh, they're, they're finding ways to win games in, 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 in ways that they haven't been able to in the past, mainly on defense. Uh, but, you know, I still do worry about the playoffs. Like, this team doesn't have any high-level high creators outside of Luka and Brunson. Uh, but unfortunately, like I said, like, they're just so strapped for assets. And I think the main culprit for that is just Kristaps Porzingis that has not worked out the way that they envisioned. Um, and, you know, he's pretty untradeable, along with Tim Hardaway Jr. at the moment is, is also very uh, – not very untradeable, but is, is pretty much untradeable because of his injury. So – uh, when your two highest players can't be traded, it really kind of precludes you from making any big moves. That's kind of a ridiculous trade proposal. So it's like pretty low level. It's nothing involving any of the top three guys. So Reggie Bullock's been a little better as of late, but I I would say that that move was kind of redundant given what the Mavs already have. Like they already have a ton of different three and D guys they can just slot in that role. And like you said, the Mavs do need shot creators. And I don't think the Lakers are doing anything with Kendrick Nunn right now. Would that be some sort of like potential flip that could help the Mavs in a postseason series where you need guys besides Luka and Jalen running the offense? Mm, I don't think that specific deal would help them just because 
Bullock has been playing really well for the Mavs recently. I think in his last four or five games, he's averaging like 18 points per game. He's shooting the three at some ridiculous level. Um, and, you know, with, with Tim Hardaway Jr. out, that shooting becomes even more valuable for them. And with Kendrick Nunn, you know, he hasn't played all season. Nobody knows when or if he's going to return. We won't know what he looks like uh, when he comes back. So I don't think that specific deal would would improve them. But if you could flip Bullock or even Dorian Finney-Smith for um, another creator, uh, I think that could be something that you look at doing. One question. What is your best case and worst case scenario for this team right now? Uh, just in terms of like season outcome? Season outcome, just you can even say in the next like two years, like what 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 is the ideal scenario for the Mavs and what is the worst thing you could see them becoming? I mean, ideal scenario is win a championship, uh, but I don't think that's realistic this year or even next year for that. Maybe maybe they could be a conference finals team next year if they make uh, the right moves this offseason. I think that's not too far-fetched to expect of them uh, next year. But obviously, first things first. I think coming into this season, this was my goal, and it still is right now. Like, you got to win a playoff series. Um, they haven't won a playoff series since they won the championship 10, 11 years ago now. Uh, so I think just that's the first step. You can't, you know, you can't win a championship unless you win a playoff series. So they got to do that first. Um, and then, you know, you see what worked this season. Um, you see where you can improve and make the right changes in the offseason and hopefully build towards being a real contender next year. I fully agree. And I think I'm going to be watching a little more Mavs because it's a very interesting group with a lot of different unique players. And I like the way kids been running this team. I think they're playing with a different energy. They're defensively yeah. getting after it. So it is a different Mavs team. Um, yeah, you got to get... Oh, oh no, wait, no problem. Sorry, no, continue, I just, continue. No, I was just gonna say, I think you got to give Kid credit um, for taking a team that you know, for in in all like you know, or I don't know how to say this, but like basically, I think we would all acknowledge that this roster is pretty stale at this point. Like they haven't changed anything up. Um, you know, going into this season, quite frankly, I wasn't terribly excited because I'm like, we know what's gonna happen. Um, but to his credit, like he's, he's changed them. He's transformed them as a team, uh, to where like, it's at least interesting to watch them play on a nightly basis, uh, because of some of the stuff that they do. We're not used to seeing them be a good defensive team. Um, and so I guess I'm just trying to enjoy the, the ride and, and see how many games they can win, uh, without thinking too far ahead. But obviously now we're getting towards the all-star break. Um, the playoffs are, are coming into focus now. Yeah, it's also it's kind of cool that kids in both of his head coaching stints has gotten the chance to just work with ridiculously generational foreign superstars. He got Giannis with the Bucks, and now he has Luca with the Mavs. And I think when you're coaching players like that, like Giannis really loved working with Kid. And from all accounts, it seems like this Mavs team has finally bought into everything that yeah he's embodying. So it is fun to watch, and it will be exciting to monitor what this team does. But I really appreciated your time, dude. This was a really good yeah, talk. No problem. I'm always happy to to join and talk about the Mavs or even the NBA. And, um, you know, always uh, want to support my fellow podcasters as well. Yes, sir. Um, check out Mavs Film Room. I'll put all the links in the podcast description, but great podcast about the Mavs and co-founded by Jay. So, yeah. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, keep up the good work yourself. Yes, sir. Take care. All right. All See right. you. Bye-bye. So before starting today's episode, I just want to
quick disclaimer, we recorded this last night, and this was before the crazy NBA trade deadline stuff that went on today. So we didn't discuss the ramifications of, you know, James Harden to the Sixers, Ben Simmons to the Nets, Seth Curry also coming along with Ben Simmons to the Nets, Christoph Porzingis to the Wizards, Spencer Dinwiddie to the Mavs, Serge Ibaka to the Bucks, and Dennis Schroeder to the Rockets. A lot of other moves happened too. Celtics got Derek White. Um, Montrezl Harrell got traded to the Hornets. And we didn't get a chance to talk about that. But next episode, we will. And for now, you're just going to have to listen to what we thought. You know, we, we discussed the hypothetical nature of some of these trades and whether they would happen or not. And take a listen. Um, keep in mind for context that all these trades happened today. And this was recorded last night. Thanks. Make sure it's yeah, working. So yeah. Is it working? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. That was that was a good interview. I'm I'm really glad we got to talk to Jay. He had some really interesting insights on the Mavs and I feel like he's really well connected within the team, which is, is really good to hear, honestly. Yeah, and he also had a lot of like nuanced talks about, you know, like different types of defensive coverages and um types of moves that the Mavs can make besides just the obvious mainstream things you're seeing on NBA Twitter. So I did appreciate yeah, I mean, his time a ton. It's been a crazy, crazy 48 hours already. So, I mean, it's just like, I'm very interesting to see what the future is going to hold with regards to like who is being moved before this trade deadline. But the, yeah. yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about uh, one, one great thing that we like about all, each team. And then one thing that we think something uh, like maybe th- they can build on something they can build on. Yeah, exactly. So you want you want to start with the East and go top to bottom? Yeah, we'll go standings based. We'll start with the East. Um, the yeah. Miami Heat. Miami. Yeah, so one thing that I'm impressed with what this team has done is they've had injuries to each of their key guys. You know, Jimmy's been out for extended time. Bam's been out for extended time. Kyle Lowry's just been in and out of the lineup throughout the season. But guys like Max Struess, Tyler Hero playing at a really elite level, um, they've had a lot of guys step up despite some inconsistencies with injuries and with active players like Duncan Robinson, who's shooting has seen a little bit of a regression this season, but I think he's picking it up now. Um, yeah, I think I'm most impressed with the way they've handled a lot of adversity with lineups. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think for me, my my biggest takeaway was their depth is incredible, which kind of builds off what, what you're saying, but... I think their depth is absolutely fantastic, and they're they're probably one of the deepest teams in the league, and especially if you look at the Eastern Conference, I think that depth is really going to help them out. But for me, I think one thing that I was a bit disappointed on is their efficiency has really dropped, especially compared to their 2020 season. Because you had, I mean, maybe it's because, you know, Jimmy Butler has been injured this year, and Duncan Robinson's numbers have really fallen. You're not going to, I mean, you can't really repeat the numbers he had in 2020. It was kind of insane. But I, I guess I was really looking forward to the Heat being a really deep team that could also be really efficient when necessary. But I just feel like they haven't been as efficient. And I mean, it doesn't matter. They're, they're the number one seed. But I, I just think that when the playoffs roll around, depth is going to help, of course. But I, I, I think that, like, some, like, again, I'll, I'll specify specifically Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson. They need to start shooting the ball a little bit better and make better decisions, because when it comes down to it, in some tough games, if they play the Nets, if they play, I don't know the the Bulls, you know teams that that I feel like can, can give the 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 Heat a run for their money, the Bucks obviously they they need to play at a super high level. So 
I mean, listen, with the Nets right now, I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. But you're right for the most part. Like, it is, it's something that is, we're not accustomed to seeing a Miami Heat team score inefficiently. And I think part of that does have to do with so much lineup shuffling that their offense is built for a very specific group of guys in the sense that they had in mind Lowry, Bam, and Butler as the primary trio responsible for offensive creation. And then you have guys like Tyler Hero coming off the bench. But when you have Hero playing as extended a role as he has because of injuries, it kind of changes the dynamic of how the other guys around him are operating. And, you know, when you have guys with injuries coming in and out, like it's going to create inconsistencies with their shot. Like they're going to get games and time to get used to game action and the speed of the game again. So I think that's something that will naturally get resolved. But, well, let's move on from Miami. I think we spent a little bit of time on that. Let's move to the Milwaukee Bucks, defending champs. And I, I think for me, one thing that you just said is one thing I love about the Bucks is the fact that their three best players are playing really well, but specifically Chris Middleton. He came back from his injury, and he came back really strong, right? And he didn't need that time to adjust, and he came back, you know, guns blazing. Like, like he's been an absolute monster, and I think they're playing at a really high level right now. At least Giannis... Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday is also playing a super high level especially when Chris and Giannis are out he's balling out so I absolutely love that about this team yeah I really like I'm gonna give the cliche answer I really like the way Giannis has stepped up even more from last season I think his when you have a superstar that gives that kind of effort on both ends of the court night in night out no matter who the opponent is it just sets a tone for the rest of the team and you were saying Middleton has really been good since his injury. I completely agree. I think Holiday was snubbed for an all-star spot that Middleton got instead. Because Drew... I think both of them should have gotten it, yeah. I actually don't think Chris should have gotten the reserve spot. Because if you're telling me guys like Jarrett Allen didn't get into the game, but Chris Middleton did, that I think that's more of kind of a like a legacy award. No, not legacy. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's like a reputation thing that he's gotten that nod in years past yeah he's been playing better now but if you take the first like third of the season he was not looking the same he is now no i agree with that that that's very very true yeah i think he's definitely stepped it up but like maybe recency bias makes me think he's i mean he is playing at a high level right now so but i think for me the issue with the bucks is they've lost some they've lost some games they should not have lost Yep. The, 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 like with the Rockets is one example I can think when they're up at a, a, by a pretty big lead. Like this, this team seems like I feel like last year's team felt really little rock solid, and this year's team I feel like if they play the Celtics right in the first round, I could totally see them losing to the Celtics in the first round. If they slip up one or two games, I totally can see that happening. So I think that's the problem with the East this year, right? Like the top five teams. Or all, like, Philly's the five seed, and they're two and a half back of the one seed. And then you have all the way down to the ten-seeded Hawks. Like, they're only eight and a half back of the one seed. Like, it's not this crazy disparity that we're usually used to seeing between the best team and the last team in. So, any given team can be any given team on any given night, which is scary for teams like the Bucks. But if you're going to get back to that championship level, you've got to take care of business against these sub 500 teams like barely 500 teams like you said so i agree i think that's their weakness moving forward which i think they'll take care of knowing Giannis and 
having all those guys on a day-to-day basis. Um, speaking of not having guys on a day-to-day basis, the Chicago Bulls, who are, I think, one of the surprise stories of this year. I'll start with the positive. Their backcourt defense, when healthy, is, I think, one of the top three defensive backcourts in the league. When you have Caruso, who's getting a fair share of the minutes, and Lonzo Ball, who's always been an excellent perimeter defender, I that's a team that's not to be messed with in the playoffs. Yeah, I think they're a really well-constructed team is the word I would use. They have everything you need to have, right? They have, you know, good backcourt play, fantastic backcourt play, right? And they have two guard, or sorry, two forwards, I guess, guards slash forwards. DeRozan's a forward this year. It's so weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm like trying to, yeah, like with two guards slash forwards this year, with Levine and, and Caruso, not Caruso, and DeMar, that, that can really do everything you need to do from playmakers. And then you have Vucevic as well. But I just think... My whole thing is this team rests on when the playoffs come, can DeMar step it up? Mm Because we know that DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs has not been great his entire career. So I think you you out there have to say, like, in the playoffs for most teams, there's going to be a guy, right? There always is a guy. In every playoff series, there's a guy. And so is it going to be Levine? Is it going to be DeMar? Like, who's it going to be? One of them has to step up, and it's just like which one steps up is the, the issue for me. Is like I just hope they figure that out when the playoffs come around. This year feels different for Demar. I feel like before it was always the issue of LeBron being that one stopper that the entire Raptors team had. I don't think that weight is there anymore. Like I think the Bulls can they can go into any game and say we are the better team, and I wouldn't doubt that. Like I think they have the personnel. It's just a matter of you know, like will the stars. Like, are their two best players going to be the best two players on the court any given night? And unless it's a team like, I don't know, the Bucks at full strength, like, I would say the Bulls generally have the better two players on the court at any time. So Yeah, and right now, if, if the standings hold up, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the standings hold up the way they do, the Raptors will be playing the Bulls. And that'll be super interesting to see DeMar going back. You know, facing his old team. So that would be very, very interesting to see. But, oh, he's going to get us from cheers to booze just like that. Yeah. But I think another team that's been super surprising is the Cavs, mm-hmm. right? I Like, I was trying to think of good things and bad things. And it's like, like this team is just so surprising, like, came out of left field for me. That, like, everything that's happening for them is a good thing. Like, right. I can't think of a single, like, if I say, oh, yeah, like, they don't have a single star. Like, yeah. But that's what makes it so good is the fact that their team is just that has this parity and they're really like a well-knit group. They're they're like a good unit and they have depth and like they need a like objectively you, you need one kind of good player that's a star and they don't have that. But like uh, they're doing well enough without it that I have to just be like, yeah, dude, like congrats. Well, they have a quote unquote all star now. Like they have Darius Garland and nobody okay, thought. Nobody thought his rise was going to be as soon as it was. And in a way, I think Colin Sexton's injury opened the door for Garland to elevate everything that he's already really good at, like his playmaking, his facilitating off the dribble, his scoring. Everything was just taken to another level after that injury. And I do think Sexton will play an important role in this team like next year or whenever he comes back from injury. But for now, this is Garland's team. And the addition of Levert just makes them even scarier. Like, yeah. there is absolutely no reason for Levert to be on the Cavs. Like, <laughs> I I don't know what 
Indy was very confusing. Like they pulled the Halliburton trade, which is amazing, and they gave up on Lavert, which I think was really soon. So, a lot, a lot of different dynamics there. But I think for the most part, I don't really have anything negative to say about Cleveland. Like I think they made the moves they needed to address the gaps, like another primary shot creator, and they already have a very good infrastructure with their big lineup. So, I'm very impressed with the team overall. I'm curious to see how it's going to be like when Sexton comes back with Sexton, Levert, and Garland. Mm -hmm. Because, like, one of them is going to have to start, like, be on the bench. You're not going to start all three of them. I would put Sexton in that, like, Jamal Crawford hyper scorer off the bench role. Yeah. I mean, I think minutes wise, you can make it work, but they have a bigger lineup or they tend to go with bigger lineups. So that'll be interesting. But Mm -hmm. the Sixers, I feel like, are doing a good job cutting out the noise. There's a lot of noise in the Ben Simmons. You know talks and stuff and the sisters mm-hmm. are involved in like every single drama of this year i think they're doing a great job of cutting off the noise just playing really good basketball joel and beat is playing at an insanely good level he's the mvp and, right now and i think they're just doing a great job and there are rumors rumors of course but rumors that potentially harden going to the to, to the sixers mm-hmm. if if he goes to the sixers they are going to be the one seed I mean, like, one seed or not, I think that they're the favorite at that point. Like, yeah. this always happens where you see a star playing for a team. He's disgruntled. He doesn't look himself. And all of a sudden, a trade happens, and suddenly they're back to, you know, springy legs, averaging 26 a game, like, fully engaged on the defensive end. Like, I I don't know why I think it'll happen, but I think Harden's going to be invigorated by a change of scenery. And... Philly's the perfect spot. And like you said, Embiid's just been playing out of his mind on both ends of the floor. Just always the best player any given night. In my eyes, he's going to win the MVP this season. So I like all that about Philly. I think their one weakness is that they're missing a transition scoring piece. And that piece is Ben Simmons. Like, People are saying, you know, trade Simmons, trade Simmons. And I get it, but more than likely that's going to happen. Their entire offense will unlock another dimension if they add a transition guy. And to me, that's they can, Ben Simmons. They just have, the, they have that player sitting on the bench right now. I know. So it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, but I feel you on that. I mean, it is what it is, right? I think some things are more important than that. But if they get hardened, that's, that's great for them because he's great in transition, right? So... Or I guess at least it's a little, it's a little different. Like Harden's still he used like to be, but no, I think I think Harden can definitely have that. Like I th- I think Harden can do what he needs to do. Like so, he's not. I mean, I, it depends, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, I, I see what you're saying now, but we'll see. Well, we'll see. I think the the Raptors are also having a good season, given the fact that like if you look at where where, where they were in 2019, where they are now, they're definitely a different team Mm -hmm. but i think the one thing that i really like is nick nurse he's i think he's right now coach the year like Mm. they're i just think they're doing things that that most teams in the league would not would not dare to do and they're really having a great season and i think the way he's coaching them i think like they're only four games behind miami i think if they have a nice run and they've won seven in a row by the way yeah. Right. They're eight and two in the last ten. I think they could legit be at least a top three seed. I think they're they're playing in they're a good form right now, and I think the reason for that is because they have a really well constructed roster, in 
in a way that Nick Nurse can utilize really well, right? I feel like most of the coaches, he put him in, put put them in Nick Nurse's shoes, this team would not be as good as it is right now. So I feel like Nick Nurse is really doing a good job spearheading the effort. It's kind of wild when you think about the Raptors all-stars from that 2019 team. Like, Siakam ended up becoming an all-star. Fred Van Vliet ended up becoming an all-star. In that time, Kawhi was already an all-star. And then you had, obviously, Marcus All, former all-star, and then Sergi Baca, who's, like, just a pseudo all-star. Like, he's never made a team, but he's always had a very high impact on the floor when he's played. Dude, that Serge team Ibaka, was low-key loaded. Sergi Baca led the league in blocks from 2010 to 2020. Like, the league leader in blocks for, the, for that, that decade is Sergi Baca. I'm not surprised. His first... Like, young Sergi Baca was an absolute monster. Sergi Baca, baby. Like, great to have in fantasy. But, I mean, yeah, I think the Raptors are on such a hot streak right now, and I just, I'm very high on them. Like, I feel like they are a team that will go far. That, like, I don't really have anything to say about them because, I, I don't know, like... I I think they're they're too easy to guard. Like, I, yes, this is a nice run that they're on right now, but when you get to the playoffs, like... There's nothing unpredictable from Fred VanVleet. There's nothing unpredictable from Pascal Siakam. You know exactly what you're going to expect from those guys. And Scotty Barnes, fantastic player. Love him. I think he's going to be elite in three to four years. But right now, still a rookie. Learning different reads, learning matchups, um, post-scoring. A lot of raw talent on this roster still. And I think give it like another year, two years, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Like I think they're ahead of schedule right now. But not a deep playoff threat yet. I think if they're on a run, they could really go. But that's, again, that's just me. I can 100%. I, yeah, but next team on the list is the Celtics. There's that. This is a really interesting team, I'll say. Because there's a lot that they could fix. But there's like, the, the record is not bad. So it's just like a very, they're in an interesting place is what I'll say. But no one would have said the Celtics were good a week ago. Like, they, they've won six in a row, which is why people are now saying, oh, you know, maybe Brown and Tatum can coexist. I think yeah. there's still a long-term issue with the roster. Like, you have two... But like, how, how like, do you, you have fix two it, wing, Right, like, so I think they're, in a way, Clippers East, but just worse. Like, it's the two wing guys of George and Kawhi who are on another stratosphere compared to Brown and Tatum. Right, and if you surround those guys with just more three and D people, it's not gonna work. You need a an elite guard to make plays for them, and neither the Clippers nor the Celtics have that guy. It's just the Clippers can get away with it because they're so talented at those wing spots. But Boston's gonna run into a lot of problems in the playoffs when everyone just loads up on those two and forces the other guys to beat them. Yeah, I think that they're a team that can easily be beaten, right? Which we've seen. They've lost a lot of games this year. So I'm just curious to see. And I feel like just this is just me, but in the playoffs the past couple of years, they have not been a team that I have confidence in, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. I think it'll be a very – I don't think they're going to go far. I think, you know, I, right now they're, they're in the playing, like, I guess – I don't want to say bubble, but they're they're in the play like they're on the bubble of being in the, like a play-in team, right? Mm-hmm. They might they may not make it. But. I mean, I I think they'll be in that mix, and honestly, they might end up with like a five or six seed too. It's just if you're 
like right now the way the the standings are, Boston seven, Atlanta's ten, and I think I the Hawks are a, the Hawks are just a better team. I think yeah. when fully healthy, they have more ways they can beat you. And while I Boston may the have Hawks the Hawks beating the Celtics, yeah, yeah, like I mean, I mean they're not gonna match up that way in a playing tournament, but like. Yeah, J- just from a team roster standpoint, I don't like the Celtics team all that much. But Robert Williams sure. is a bright spot. Yeah, Breakout season for him. Time Lord is is, is doing great. What's not yeah. doing great are the Brooklyn Nets. Dude, I don't even know. Like, I everything's wrong with that. Like, I don't even know what to say. Durant's the only good thing about this team. That's all I have. And that's who when he plays. Like, when and he doesn't Patty play. Mills. He's just like. Patty Mills has been a nice yeah, addition. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't even want to talk about them, but like, no, you have to, right? Because all the trade rumors no, are swirling around them. Just keep on. Okay, like, I think JJ Reddick said this on first take today. Like, can we stop talking about the Nets? For there are better teams. There are more interesting teams. There are more interesting storylines. The Nets get all the attention, and I don't think they need it. Like, just like you know, like I, I don't know, but. Yeah, I just think when you have a team that's designed to win a championship and they don't even meet the expectation of being a high playoff seed, you got to look to why that is. And one, obviously, like the Kyrie situation of not playing road games, not even playing for most of the first half of the season, and then Durant's injury. They were a good team before he went out. And in the one to two seed for most of the season, and then you have this weird Harden twist now, which I didn't really see coming. Like, when Harden decided to go to the Nets, it was because he didn't have to be the guy anymore. Like, he could just focus on playmaking, focus on helping his superstar teammates out. And now, because of these injuries, because of Kyrie's road game situation, he's found himself having to carry a heavier load than he anticipated. And, you know, that could that's probably one of the reasons why he's not that happy. Yeah, I, I think... I think a lot of things and i think i don't want to talk about them anymore so the 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 charlotte hornets uh good season ish i i guess the they've kind of fallen off in the past couple games it's they're just... two and eight in the last 10 they have a six game losing streak but like i like Lamelo playing this year i think he's like finding like he, i guess would you consider him an all-star or no he made the all-star team but wasn't he like a like a reserve that got added because of an injury or something? Or? Well, he's an all star. We had this discussion last year too. Like if somebody doesn't initially get him as an all star on the basketball roster, reference is just going to show them as a one time all star. It's not going to show like alternate selected by Adam Silver or anything. Like it's going to show them one time all star. Yeah, I. I John ja Morant and Lamelo Ball are going to have the same designation at the top. One time all star. Yeah. Um, I mean, this Charlotte team is, it's not even interesting. I, I can't, I can't even say they're interesting. They're just there. Like Lamelo's great to watch, but like, other than that, like, I really like miles bridges. I think PJ Washington oh, is kind of miscast, really... but they have a fun team. And like Ubre, all of a sudden this season learned how to shoot last season with golden state. Couldn't do anything much maligned by warriors Twitter, but now he's actually a valuable rotation guy for that team. I think the Hornets have an issue, right? Like, when when Gordon Hayward plays, they're a good team. When he's hurt, they're not. Right now, he has like sprained ligaments in the same ankle that he hurt in his Boston debut. And that's so concerning because 
now you're in a weird playing situation, like that seven through ten spots, yeah. and the Wizards aren't that far behind. And you know, one bad week, and it's just back to I, the they're, lottery. They're again. literally having a bad week. They're, yeah. They have lost six. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this this Charlotte team, when I watch them play and fully healthy, I'm like, this is a good team in the East. But then it's just the their situation right now is just not that again because of Gordon Hayward injuries and then they've also just I think dropped the ball in some games, but it's a very interesting scenario to see how it's going to play out at the end of the season because I think their roster is pretty well constructed for what they want to do, you know, if if Hayward plays and Lamelo continues developing, think about how good this roster will be. Like they have all the pieces necessary. Maybe they need some depth in terms of like a good front court with like I, I don't know like who. I it's Miles. Who, like, it's Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, and some assort, like some assorted center. Yeah, like the some assorted center is the thing I'm talking about. I think PJ like, plays like the five for a majority of their minutes. Yeah, that's true. I I think that's their biggest weakness in terms of roster. I, I think you have to agree with me on that part. But yes, I think I'm just really interested to see what it's gonna it's gonna turn out to. be. They have they have so many good perimeter guys though like Rogier, Ball, and like they haven't even unleashed Book Knight, who's their lottery draft pick, and he has all the talent in the world to be like a meaningful guard rotation guy in the league. So I don't know that this Hornets team is fun. I think there's a lot of untapped potential. It's just because they're so young, they haven't figured out how to close games, how to win the games that matter, and. Because of that, that's why they're in this nine spot right now. I think they should be much higher. Yeah, I think they'll be fine because I don't think this season for them, they expected much. Well, given last season, like they had playoff expectations, right? But I think the way the season is like, maybe I'm not talking about the beginning of the season, but like if you ask any Hornets fans right now, they're like, yeah, like, you know. I think the expectation is still there to, like, they should be at least in the playing tournament. Dude, they're second in points per game. They're they're, they're a scoring team. They just can't stop anyone. Yeah, their defense is definitely a big issue as well. That's one thing I think, like, how can you fix that? Because a lot of the players they have, like, okay, I think Miles Bridges obviously defensively is is, is pretty good, Mm -hmm. right? And Gordon Hayward, I think. Yeah, PJ's good, but, like, like, and scary Terry's at like he's just is just Lamelo Ball I guess like I think no no, no. Rozier is not a good defender like he'll try they'll compete same with Ball like I think when he locks in defensively like he's a very good isolation perimeter defender it's just the team defense isn't there yet no I was gonna say that I think the team defense like they've not meshed together well as a unit defensively yeah right so I mean in, okay I take back my statement I think they are an interesting team they have some there's something there about them. You know? Yes, yeah. and I think the same for the next team that we were talking about, the Atlanta Hawks. Like rebounding well after a pretty rough start to the season. Um, one thing that I liked about the Hawks last year, which hasn't been there this season, is their defense and slowly picking back up. But you would expect with Clint Capella, John Collins, and a a pretty physical front court that they would hold the line for some of the the weaknesses by having Trey Young as your point guard. Um, I don't know. I I think if the Hawks shore up the defense, and obviously with DeAndre Hunter coming back from injury, it looks a lot better. They're going to just climb up these standings. Like right now, they're the 10 spot. um, Three back of the Nets for the eighth seed. 
four and a half back of the six seeded Raptors, I think they'll make a climb. Yeah, they have they have a lot of potential, and I think for me, if I look at this East, I think it's exactly what I expect it to be. I think the top ten teams, for the most part, are legitimately the top ten teams, and like I I know it seems a lot closer towards the bottom, right? The Knicks are only eleven games behind; they're only two and a half, three games behind the Hawks, right? They're only like five games behind the the Hornets, but like I think there's a separation barrier between the way the Hawks play and the, the way the Hawks can play at their fullest potential compared to wit to where some other teams below them, like the Knicks and the Wizards are. But with Atlanta, like we saw them make an Eastern Conference Finals run last year. And yeah. rarely do we see like such a fall off when you kind of retain the same roster. But but circumstantially they've, they've gone through a, a hell of a lot of injuries, man. Yeah. And like similar to even, Miami, like it's I, not I'll even just, COVID stuff. It's like just straight everyone getting injured. So it's like, yeah. I mean, it was Chicago too. Like Chicago went. I mean, now they're a lot of their players are injured. But I remember, like COVID, like I remember there's one point where like I felt like nobody. I didn't recognize anybody on the roster in Chicago. Oh yeah, Vooch tweeted like, "Hey, you want to run like three on three? Like he was the only like one of the few healthy guys yeah. on that team at one point, but." At least the Hawks are turning it around, unlike this Wizards team, which started off the season so well. It looked like KCP, Kuzma, all these, Montrez Harrell, all the additions to this roster were helping so much. And then Spencer Dinwiddie has just become a shell of himself. Beal decided to have surgery on his left wrist. And After again, the the season, yeah. just a, an, another lost season in D.C. But... I mean, I think this team is still better without Westbrook right now than they are would have been with him. I disagree. I completely disagree. This is the type of roster where if you have Russell Westbrook, he elevates you to the playoffs. No, with, no, no, no. But you, you can't have this roster with Westbrook is my point. No, no. You can't so, have KCP and you can't have Kuzma and you can't have... I'm saying, I'm saying last year's Wizards team like with Westbrook is a much better team no, than last the current Wizards, Wizards team. team. Last year's Wizards team with the way Westbrook is playing right now is not a better team. Yeah, but the way Westbrook, I here's my thing on Westbrook. He's it's it's not circumstantial. He's had to. He, no, he's it is circumstantial. He's had to play a diminished role because he's playing with two guys that are unequivocally better than him. Right, Anthony Davis and LeBron James are the two focal points of that Laker offense. Nobody else is expected to be an offensive like hub. Besides those two, like Westbrook's gonna be there for those minutes where they're sitting, where he can like unleash his like transition skills, his like he can bully ball smaller guards. Like that's what but he's don't there even for. See that when you don't even see that when LeBron and AD are on the bench, that's my issue. I, I think you just don't see it at all. But it's so hard to do that when you're not given chances to be a primary creator most of the time, right? Like with the Wizards, like he was still the guy. Like obviously Beal's there and he's gonna be the primary scorer, but. No one else on that team is expected to take on such a high usage. And Westbrook thrives in high usage situations. I think for me, it's it's he's just objectively playing bad basketball. I mean, like, yeah, that's undoubted. But I think that is partly circumstantial. Partly. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to talk about the last four teams in the East. Really? I just... I don't... Okay, fine. Actually... The the Knicks and Pacers are interesting. I don't. I really think know Indy what to say. is Indy is. Yeah. Okay. Well, Indy, well let's we talk about, about let's get sure. to the let's get to the Knicks first. Um, the, yeah. Tragic. One thing I like 
the fact that Obi Toppin is playing more. I yeah. I think he's always good energy off the bench. I think the team responds to that energy. High flyer, um, competes on the defensive end, and I, he should be playing more. Like I, I think they'll win more games if he plays like just four to five more minutes. And Randall's really making a statement in terms of like, I guess what his contract year coming up for him, right? So no, no, no. So he contract year was last year. He got last the contract. Year, he got the contract. He won most now. improved, then immediately regressed yeah. back no, to it's Lakers. The other way around, yeah. Julius Randall. No, yeah, that's uh okay. Clearly, I don't keep tabs enough on the Knicks to. I don't feel qualified to talk about the Knicks. I'm not, I'm not gonna the, lie. The Knicks have had so many games this season where they'll go down like 18, 19 points in the first half, make this huge run in the third quarter, tie the game, and then just lose by like two or three. Heartbreak for so many of these games. And it's, I mean, also Derrick Rose has been hurt. They've had a lot of inconsistent point guard play. Kemba Walker is just not the same guy anymore, which is really sad. But they need a full overhaul. I think they need to make a trade for some point guard because if you're asking Julius Randle to be the primary offensive creator it's it's not going to work like RJ Barrett can only take so much of the load off of that but yeah so I guess where did they go from here because maybe healthy this team is better but I think I don't think so I don't think they're better healthy okay this team is not better better, than any of the much better this team is better than the Wizards, but any of the first 10 teams that we named... They're not better. They're not. No, no I think they have they have people, but I don't think that they're going to... I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think of what they can do, like what, what moves they can make. But they they really just need to start over, but who would you keep? Who would you... Who, I don't know. So You keep... I don't think you give up on Randall after one down year you and also give him another contractually year. contractually does not make sense to give him away, i mean you so. could i think people would take on his contract and give him a change of scenery like i can totally see portland like doing some crazy trade trying to get julius randall yeah because but, they're portland i mean depends on what dame wants but like i keep barrett keep randall keep Toppin, keep quentin grimes um keep quickly quentin. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, they're misusing Cam Reddish. They're not using him at all. I don't know why they traded for him. Because um, they're because they they they're a terrible franchise that has no idea what they're doing. Do you see what um, Tibbs said? Uh, yeah. The, the source said Tibbs didn't even want to trade for Cam Reddish. Like how how do you let that out to the public? Again, terrible franchise. Yeah. Okay, now let's, let's Pacers. So, I guess. <laughs> So they have Brogdon now, they have Halliburton, they have Levert, but they have no Sabonis. But I feel like they need, like, is it Miles Turner, I guess, is their, is their big guy? Who, yeah. who, 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 who like There are reports I, saying he wanted to try playing with Halliburton before any decision, like, decision on a trade or like moving to another team was made, so... I, I see it. I see a future in which Halliburton and Duarte are the backcourt with Brogdon, and you have a like a well, obviously hey, Miles and Levert and Levert. No, no, Levert's on the Cavs, dog. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I got you. Chess <laughs> went over this. Yeah, I know. Wait, yeah. Maybe. The Pacers are not deep, and I think that's their issue. Yeah, I mean, I think they needed to do something because obviously they're not in a good place. But there were there were. They were a playoff team in the bubble year, right? And last year as well? I don't think they made it last year. They did last year. year, but they made the playoffs in the bubble. Yep. 
right? So they're like not super far removed from, and their roster was not that much different from the bubble season, if I'm remembering correctly, right? The, the core just was the, still there. The other teams were not as good too. Yeah, no, it's very valid. I I think hopefully this will help them out. Getting I, Halliburton was just the best thing that could happen to this obviously franchise. Bought, they bought super high on Halliburton, right? Because Halliburton yeah. is having a really... He's in a good stretch right now, so... His stock is absolutely high right now, and people are talking about him like he's prime Chris Paul, which I think they need to hold that a little bit. But it is good that they got a, a guy who two days ago said he wanted to change the franchise culture of the Kings, and then promptly the Kings were like, we cannot have that. We can't have <laughs> anything good happen to our team. Immediately traded him. Victor so, Davy is a terrible owner, but awful. But good yeah. for the Pacers getting a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Orlando Magic. Okay, I they just have want the, to say. No, no. So, good thing they have the most players selected to the Rising Stars game. Yeah, I good job. Is Jonathan Isaac's injured again? What happened? Still out. No, he's still out from injury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like injured again. Sorry, I meant yeah. Oh, no, he hasn't played injured. a game this game season. this season. Yeah. Okay. So with him, like this team has a lot of potential. I just hate the way they play. Like I, I, I saw them play the Warriors, and it's unbelievably frustrating watching them play. When when one person has the ball, every other player will be outside the three point line. They they have Mo Bamba, who's like seven foot two, standing at the three point line, and then they'll have like every other player shoot the ball. It's like, dude, like. I, I'm so confused. I guess the see, only player... Did you see player, against the Sixers? No. He went 7 for 8 from the three-point line in the first half. Okay, well... Like, this is like a, a week, week and a half ago against against Joel Embiid. Two Under Armour guys just going at it. That's a rule. That's that's an exception, not the rule. I think the, the only person on that team that plays at least close to the close to the post is Wendell Carter. Yeah. Everyone else on that team is a perimeter player. Mm-hmm. Um. They have that. They have that Russian guy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Franz Wagner. No, the, the German guy. Sorry. Mo Wagner, Franz Wagner. They're both on that team. Yeah. Which one's better? Franz is the rookie. He's infinitely better. He's the like, he's the future of this team. Him, Cole Anthony. Yeah. Um, building around Wendell Carter, like giving Mo Bamba another year. Like Wagner. Wagner was really smooth with the. Like, is in it real Vogner, life? Like, it, but do we have to Wagner? say it? Wagner or Wagner? Like. Wagner? I'm gonna say Wagner because that feels right. Va- Wagner, no, 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 no not Wagner. I know it is Wagner. Wagner like yeah. I, it is Wagner. But dude, he is so smooth with it. He's really nice. Like, he has a I lot of skills for a rookie. He looks really good when he plays. He looks really fluid, which I love to see. I think uh, he could fit in any championship team rotation yeah. immediately, which you can't say for a lot yeah. of rookies. Wait, they got they got Jalen. They got okay, Okeke or Kiki Chuma. Yeah, um, they got. What uh, Cole Anthony, who who has bunnies, bunnies. I love Cole Anthony. Yeah, uh, they have. I guess what yeah, Isaac. Yeah, but he's and Fultz he's, still coming back from injury. Like that's another piece they're gonna add. So I think they have the makings for a fun team oh, moving yeah, wait, forward. Dude, they're they have just Jaylen so too. young, man. Yeah, they have Jalen Suggs too. Yeah, yes. That's a interesting team in the future. They're just, right they're now, just too just, young, man. Yeah. Like, Terrence Ross is going to get dealt to some contender, hopefully. And they have but... RJ Hampton, too. Yep. He's he's very he's in my dynasty league. Yeah. Oh, really? You, you, you picked him up? I have him in our league, yeah. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, the Pistons, I guess, 
Good thing Cade, bad thing everything else. That, that's what I'll say. Uh, yeah, I'll say good Cade. Um, bad handling of Jeremy Grant. Like if he, you're gonna if you're committing to, to Sadiq Bay's development and committing to Cade as your primary guy, you have to trade Jeremy Grant oh, yeah, he and needs not to be play traded. him anymore. He needs to be traded. This I is, think he has so much trade value. I can see I can see him fitting it's just his contract is the issue. I mean so. that's what that diminishes his value because I think if you're if you're saying like give me like a second round pick and another player to fill salary for Jeremy Grant, like I think that's more along the lines of what his value is. And I'm not just talking about like any throwaway player, like an, a decent piece. But mm-hmm. his asking price is two firsts. And I don't yeah. think anyone is giving no one's two gonna first round that. picks for Jeremy Grant. And then Grant. take on... Yeah, no one's going to take on any... Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's... I like... The... There's like four players on the Pistons I like. Cade... Frank Jackson, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart. Those are the four people. I love, on the I, 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 I like. love Isaiah Stewart. I think he's having a really good season. Shout out UW, Isaiah Stewart. I didn't LeBron, know. LeBron, LeBron's final boss. I don't get it. You oh, the fight. The fight. Yeah, never mind. I get it. Sorry, I just completely forgot about the wait to happen this season. That's I know, so. Right? That's so crazy. I still, That's, it still feels like the season's just barely ramped up, and we're yeah. already at like game fifty-five. I know that's pretty crazy. I'm really happy because we, one of our friends is a huge Lakers fan. He goes to dental school in in Detroit, so we sent him to that game, and he got to see that 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 all unfold for his oh, birthday. Oh, nice! That's awesome. Yeah, very so, cool. Super memorable. So I'm, I'm really happy that happened. But I think nice. what we're about we're about forty minutes in. We could Plus, probably do the West in another episode. Yeah, I think I think that'll be. I, th- I think that that's a good idea because there's don't a lot more we can talk about the West. I was gonna say I think we'll spend twenty minutes each on the Suns and then the Warriors. So <laughs> yeah, so oh. yeah, good stuff. I mean, shout out to Jay. Thanks for coming on. Um, thanks y'all for listening. Appreciate it. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Definitely seeing a lot more listeners this time around in terms of us releasing episodes, which is great. Uh, please let us know what we can talk about. If you guys want to come on as guests, please let us know. We'd love to have y'all. Um, and yeah, I think what well, NBA next week as well, probably combined with a Super Bowl recap. But we should split uh, them. I think we should split them. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with right, that. The Super Bowl is just gonna be a whole rant. I'm gonna be from watching, either of watching us. and taking notes. It's probably be by me. Must must be real. It's probably gonna be by me. But I mean. Uh, I really hope Joe Burrow wins. I, I'm really excited for that. I would love to see the Bengals win. It would give me so much joy. But it's so nice going into Super Bowl just not caring. Not caring, yeah. Like usually, I would like I took the the annoying fan route of just rooting against Tom Brady in every Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But now that the goat's gone, it's just what do, what do you do? Like you just you don't care. I'm just there's no there's no hate in my blood for either of these teams. I just want to see Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford just throw the ball down the field the whole game. It's gonna be so much fun. I think I'm I'm really excited. This is like a very like what ESPN had their shows from Disneyland today or yeah Disneyland Disney or sorry Disneyland California Adventure both of them I think 
and NFL Network. They've been doing their Good Morning Football from LA. It's like kind of crazy. It is like they're really going out all in LA, and we have what the halftime show. It's going to be a really interesting Super Bowl, just because I feel like you know if it's in like like last year was what Flor- uh, Florida, right? St. Petersburg, it's Tampa, right? Tampa, same thing. Yeah. Um. So that was like kind of eh. And I feel like some places, but like Vegas and LA are two places. I'm like, wow, this is gonna be like a. Did Tampa? A, wait, wait, wait. Did Tampa win it in Tampa? Yeah, Tampa won it in Tampa. So it's gonna be back to back years of like a potential Super Bowl winning team. In yeah, that's their the home whole thing. Stadium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, maybe if Buffalo built a dome, they could host Super Bowl and Josh Allen could win the Super Bowl in Buffalo. If Buffalo built a dome, Stephon Diggs would have two thousand receiving yards in a season. Yeah, I still think I, I look fondly back on the on on the Super Bowl in 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 Minneapolis. I think that was a good, like, it was cold, but like once you got inside, it was nice. I feel like you know. Were you there? Yeah, I was totally there. I'm trying to think of where else you could have Super Bowl. I guess Levi's, right? Levi's. Levi's, Super Bowl. Levi's already um, hosted one. Yeah, fifty one, right? Broncos, Seahawks. I think it was 20... Was it 2015? Yeah, Super Bowl 20, 51. Yeah, yeah, 2015. Or 50. It was 50. It was 50. Yeah, it was, it was the Broncos-Seahawks Super Bowl. That's what I right. remember. And then, what? Houston, Atlanta, anywhere in the south. Dallas. Yeah, wait. What's the next Dallas hosted Super Bowl? Because that will be interesting. Yeah, I just want to see all the fans packing AT&T. Dude, Dallas fans are crazy. Dude, they, Dallas they fans charge, are annoying. They charge so much money to... For like my friends were looking, or my friends are big Niners fans. They went to Lambo because Lambo tickets were like pretty reasonable, mm-hmm. like and they were pretty close for standing room only in Dallas for that playoff game. It was like five hundred bucks. Dallas, everywhere is just getting priced out, man. Like except the for, Super Bowl is just not accessible for a casual fan. I don't even know how you'd go about securing a Super Bowl ticket. You'd have to either have like some corporate sponsor. Um, a friend of a friend who's really rich, some uh, some connection. I know. I feel like even if you're rich, it, it's it's not worth it to buy it because like. Well, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know if I like if I had like two million dollars income a year. Like, I think I'd consider like, oh, maybe I could go to the Super Bowl. But like, I I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't yeah. think that's like a normal price option for just like a an average fan. It really isn't. It genuinely is not. So, yeah. But, okay. Thanks. But, yeah, like like Ani said earlier, we really appreciate all the feedback, like, listening, and all these small things matter to us. Like, it's just what keeps us going. So, just keep keep doing it. Yep. Appreciate the, appreciate the support. Uh, again, let us know what y'all want to listen to. And, as always, stay safe and wash your hands. Yeah, I'm going to do some scouting at this Pelicans game I'm going to tomorrow. So <laughs> I was going to say, when you're talking about cheap sporting events or expensive sporting events, I just want to oh say. Oh, my God. $4 tickets pre-tax, $9 post-tax for a yeah. Pelicans-Miami game. Like what, The number one seed in the East coming to New Orleans, and it's a $9 ticket. Are you kidding me? I guess we all just need to move to New Orleans. Every single sporting event needs to be held. No, I'm getting... Really King. Smoothie King Jazz Arena Center. <laughs> I'm stadium. getting season tickets if I ever live here, man. Yeah. That pricing is absurd. It's amazing. Hilarious, too. But yeah. God. as always, stay safe, wash your hands, and have fun in, in New Orleans. Peace.